everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Ludovic Blaine, who is the executive director of the California Donor Table. Uh, Welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on. So tell us a little bit about what uh, California Donor Table is and what you guys do. Sure. We've been around about 17 years, and our goal is to make a more progressive California by building the power of progressive communities of color around the state. Um, In those 17 years, we've moved around $43 million to progressive organizations run by and serving people of color, um, to candidates running for office around the state, Um, to uh, political money to run independent expenditures for those candidates. Uh, We've also helped to fund both elected officials and groups to work together um, to do progressive policies. Um, So our role uh, in the progressive movement here in California uh, is to move money to the folks who need it the most, to do the most, uh, to win on behalf of all of us. Uh, And so that's what we're doing day to day. So how did... How did this come about? Um, How did you guys decide to do this? Sure. So uh, in the mid 2000s, there were a lot of donor meetings trying to digest nationally what happened with the Kerry campaign versus the Bush reelect and a number of other things. So there were national donor networks being formed Um, at those meetings, uh, which were big tent, uh, progressive donors, liberal donors, Democratic donors who aren't necessarily progressive and a mix of other folks uh, were coming together. There were a group of donors who realized that they were all from California. Uh, They were all to the left of the big tent national donor conversations they were having, and they all centered racial equity in in their funding work. So they decided to start up a state donor table here in California. Um, That was around 2005-ish. Uh, I was brought on board um, as the first full-time staff in 2009, uh, where we honed our strategy to try to move California at that time uh, by building progressive people of color-centered infrastructure in San Diego, Orange County, and the Inland Empire. Now, when you say that, people don't laugh because those places have moved. But in 2008 and 2009, when we would tell people that we were focusing there, uh, folks both out of state and in state thought that it was a fool's errand. Why would you give money to red areas uh, that don't have a track record of democratic party humiliation? And why would you waste money there when there's blue areas elsewhere? At the same time, I'd say that uh, one of our major donors and co-founders, Steve Phillips, 
started to give money as the first major donor to Stacey Abrams. He had, people had the same reaction to that. Um, years later, we know what Stacey has done, um, but uh, San Diego has at least one of the most progressive board of supervisors in the state now. Um, the Inland Empire has a progressive assembly, Latina assembly majority leader who represents the workers in Amazon rather than the owners of the Amazon warehouses. Um, and um, San, Diego, San Diego, Orange County, the Inland Empire and the Central Valley have saved democratic congressional majorities twice in the last decade, 2012 and 2018. And within the same decade, this year in 2022, they're gonna do it again. So those red oppressed places where people were making no political funding and very little philanthropic funding have saved America's bacon. We'll, by the end of this year, we'll have saved America's bacon three times um, because of the leaders that were able to work at scale because of the funding that we were able to align to them. So that's how it got started. And that's some of the work we've been doing since. Uh, and we're really happy with the results so far. Um, and, and what would you say your key issues are, or is it simply just a mobilization thing? So we, uh, donors come to us, we're a donor membership group. So donors join our table and then get advice about how to give across various tax statuses. Um, those donors care about various different issues, constituencies, communities, geographies. Um, and California is a huge, really nation, much more than a state. We have many state-sized regions. Um, so, um, so we don't focus on any particular issue. We're working to make sure that uh, progressive communities of color can win intersectionally in the regions and at the state level. We do care about election reform. We were a key player in some of the election day registration and other policy changes that happen at the state level. We see the importance of criminal justice, both as a key area that serves to really disempower, disfranchise and, and incarcerate people of color. Uh, we see environmental justice as a key issue, but actually there's many, many key issues. The real issue is that it's the same people who are being oppressed on criminal justice, on environment, on education, on housing, on many, many issues. So we're working to empower particular communities so that they can play more of a key role uh, making sure that their policy preferences are centered. Um, now, I came across um, you guys probably for the first time a couple weeks ago when you hosted a discussion on the California DA races. Um, maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about that. Sure. I'd say um, in the mid-2010s, uh, um, California criminal justice folks uh, had been succeeding in passing uh, state initiatives. I think it was 47 and 57. And those were great. Um, at the same time, we realized working with groups in the Inland Empire and the Central Valley and Orange County, that those state initiatives were really having no positive impact in those regions because most of the, of the local elected officials had campaigned against those initiatives. 
they won campaigning against the initiatives and then they governed the opposite of the initiatives. So not only did they refuse to implement the initiatives, they actually did as much of the opposite as they could. Um, and at that time, we at CDT realized that while there was robust initiative infrastructure to pass state initiatives, there were no progressive groups that had criminal justice at their core that were doing partisan work for or against candidates. And the only people who didn't hate their district attorneys were people in San Francisco. Everywhere else in the state, everybody hated, except for the cops, hated their district attorneys and their sheriffs. So it seemed like an odd mismatch that we were spending tens of millions of dollars on initiatives and zero dollars on partisan work to beat the universally panned and hated set of elected officials on the issue. So we started to aggregate um, donors to focus on funding work to, to start supporting good DAs um, and then started to work with groups to start to build out their capacity to do work for and against candidates. So our first time doing that work was um, towards 2017 when the uh, then Contra Costa district attorney was so bad that he got uh, convicted. I forget of what, but it was bad stuff. Um, and then we worked with the groups to get the current incumbent district attorney, uh, Diana Becton, first nominated to the board of, to the board of supervisors to get appointed, then appointed as DA, as the first black woman uh, countywide official in Contra Costa's history. And then she got elected in 2018. And so in 2018, we supported a variety of different district attorney candidates around the state. Uh, DA Becton was the one who won. Uh, we were very happy about that. 2019, we funded groups to support Chesa uh, Boudin in San Francisco. Uh, and in 2020, we uh, supported the largest people of color centered independent expenditure for George Gascon. So going into 2022, we have the wind at our, wind at our backs. Um, there's eight, nine, 10 good district attorney candidates running across the state. Um, some are running for open seats. Some are running against incumbents. Uh, uh, Becton is running for re-election. Um, and so we're strongly supporting those progressive and reformed district attorney candidates, not just um, some for someone like Chesa, uh, who's, who is running against a recall against him. So traditionally liberal places like San Francisco, but um, there's a liberal DA running in Orange County. Um, there's one running in Riverside County. Um, and yes, there's a progressive DA candidate also running, I'm in Berkeley, here in Alameda County. So there's a set of progressive district attorney candidates who are quite diverse race and gender, um, who are running to change the criminal justice system for the better. Um, and we're strongly supporting them. And that event was spotlighting um, those races and the groups doing the work across the state for reporters so that they can do more than just quote the police union who's against reformers. And then as their second quote, quote the retailers who say that their plans to already close shops pre-COVID were caused by DA reformers who got elected after COVID, <laughs> even though their uh, reports to the stock market said that they were gonna be closing the stores before those elected officials got elected that the stores are blaming 
So, um, so we wanted to make sure that the reporters had access to a key set of people of color leaders across the state who are the go-to people on those campaigns as well as other ones in those regions. So we do a lot of work uh, following uh, a lot of these DA races. So I'm gonna ask you about some of them. Great. Um, so let's start in San Francisco. Um, you know, my take is uh, Chesa, who we've had on the show several times, uh, is in a lot of trouble. Uh, what What is your take at this point? It is an uphill battle. Um, he's he the campaign being waged against him are from people who funded Trump and Mitch McConnell and some of the worst Republicans. So it's not surprising that they've been able to gin this up. Um, it's also true that um, uh, that many businesses in San Francisco are trying to blame their corporate decisions to disinvest in the place on somebody else and they're choosing Chesa. It's also the case, just let's be honest about it. I'm originally from the Bronx, I'm pretty frank. Um, some elected, many elected officials use the police and the district attorney to hide, quote, problems. So the major homelessness program is that the cops move homeless people away from where the rich people live, and then the district attorneys prosecute the homeless people who don't want to move or who make too much of a ruckus when the police are moving them. And so then people like a mayor benefit politically from the cops and the DA op operating in concert to sweep the parts of our community that too many of us don't care about under the rug, or in this case, under highways or other places. Um, so, um, so it's not surprising that there's a backlash to Chase's great work um, by not just those Republican donors, but by a variety of the other local elect elected officials there. Um, when you look at the stats that they're using, they're actually all lies. Um, um, and there's any number of different proven instances where the police are called to pick up somebody who did something wrong and they say that I, the district attorney has said that we can't pick them up, which actually the district attorney doesn't have that power <laughs> to tell police not to pick, pick up people. They have the power whether to prosecute, but the police can pick up whoever they want. So, so the police are obviously um, using their attack on the DA to explain why they do such a bad job. Um, so, so Chesa has an uphill battle and we're hoping he's able to pull it out uh, because he and the residents and voters of San Francisco actually deserve him. One of the interesting things that we've found is that the police are not arresting people that they actually witness committing crimes. And then the DA gets blamed for that because, oh, well, they weren't going to prosecute them anyway. Um, so it's this interesting shell game. Right. And, and again, that's why if the reporters only go to the police and then who the police refer them to, that's actually not both sides. So that why we did that media briefing is to remind reporters that there's actually a whole other set of people who actually disagree with the cops. And, and the reporter maybe doesn't have to take sides. They should be a straight shooter and say when people are lying. But they do need to quote at least, there's probably multiple sides, but they need to quote more than one side. <laughs> they cannot quote people on the same side as if they're on different sides. 
because they're different messengers from the same side. Um, so we wanted to make sure that community folks and community leaders were also quoted in there, not just the police, oftentimes who don't live in that jurisdiction and business owners, oftentimes who don't live in that jurisdiction. So let's move across the bay to uh, your backyard, um, Alameda County. Um, and it's really interesting. I get to watch um, last week's candidates forum. Um, you have uh, four candidates running uh, for an open seat, all of them black. So there will be a black uh, district attorney in Alameda for the first time. They all sound like they are reformers, um, but we know that's not true. Uh, so what's your take on that race? Sure. Um, so I have to say that the police and the police union, um, I really trust them to always be looking out for their, their self-interest and for, for their self-interest and my self-interest to rarely overlap. So when they support a candidate, I believe them that that's the candidate for them and that's not the candidate for me. And so, uh, and then secondly, uh, here in California, um, it's not like Texas and Florida where business and, uh, and the police are so racist and sexist that they would only support straight white guys, mostly Republicans. Here in California, both business and the police support a whole bunch of not straight white guys who will vote and act on their behalf. So, um, so here, so it's not surprising that there's multiple black DA candidates that the police are supporting or very comfortable with. The one that we know who would be the best is Pamela Price. Um, in her personal life, to great personal threat and to no financial benefit, she sued multiple police agencies and unions in, in the Bay when they were sex, sex trafficking a girl, not a woman, but a girl. Um, and so someone who does that, who holds the police accountable in their personal life, <laughs> just because it was the right thing, not to make money, not to have fame, not to, that's actually exactly who we wanna have as a DA. When we have police agencies and unions that run rampant and don't both set rules that no other union can, and then they don't even follow those rules. They refuse to follow the rules. So, so we're strongly supporting uh, Pamela Price um, funding uh, an independent expenditure uh, run by and on behalf of a variety of communities of color um, to ensure that she makes it through the primary um, and either wins outright or then makes it to the general and wins in the general. I should say California has weird elections just as a reminder. So first of all, for state and federal elections, we have top two, which means everybody runs against each other across the parties in the primary. And then the top two vote getters, regardless of whether they're in different or the same parties, have a mandatory general election in the fall. But then most local elections, um, if you win over 50% in the primary, there's no general election. If nobody wins over 50%, then the top two vote getters, and it's a nonpartisan election, the top two vote getters go to the, to the general. So as you'll hear, for some of the races, not in this one, because it's an open seat with four people running, but in some of the races, if you just have two people running, one of them wins outright in the spring, and then there's no election in the fall. They already won. In this case, 
because it's four people running, it's possible slash likely that it'll go to the fall. But we're again, we're strongly support. That's our our California um, politics history lesson. Uh, but we're strongly supporting uh, Pamela Price because she's she's the right candidate with the right track record. All right. Um, unfortunately, we can't go deep into any of these races, but at least give uh, people an overview. So let's go uh, to the South Bay to Santa Clara County. That's an interesting race. Um, you have the incumbent Jeff Rosen, who's been, I guess I would say, a moderate reformer in the past, uh, but um, he uh, has uh, some more progressive challenge uh, from a public defender, uh, Saji Khan, and uh, there's another one that I don't know in that race, uh, but maybe you know the name. Right. No. So. So. Right. So. Uh, Jeff has been a um, uh, moderate reformer. I don't know. Somewhere between like Ivanka Trump and, you know, Susan Collins, maybe. I don't know. Um, but but the folks in Santa uh, Clara deserve better. Sajid Khan is better, and we're strongly supporting him. Um, and um, and we're happy that he's running. And it was Sajid Khan uh, who uh, two years ago uh, was part of a kind of interesting development uh, when he had a whistleblower complaint filed against him by the DA. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with that story, but that was uh, something we covered. Right, right, right. Um, no, we're, we're very happy about uh, Sajid. And again, we think that he would be a fantastic DA there. Um, so let's go um, to Sacramento, uh, where uh, the current DA, Anne-Marie Schubert, um, who I will venture to say is awful, is uh, now running uh, for attorney general against Rob Bonta. And so that's left that seat open. And uh, you again have two people of color. Uh, you have Tan Ho. Um, who is a Vietnamese uh, refugee, and then uh, Alana Matthews. Um, I assume you guys are backing Alana. Right. We, we did try to beat uh, Schubert four years ago. We're happy to see her go. Sad to see that she's running for AG. Hope that uh, she loses and then uh, disappears um, off of the political face of the earth. Um, we are strongly supporting Alana. We're putting, again, in each of these races, we're putting our money where our mouths are. Um, there's a strong uh, Black and Latino uh, independent expenditure there for Alana. She's a um, proven reformer. She's in the Prosecutors Alliance as a staff member, which is the Association of Liberal and Progressive Prosecutors in the state, DAs. Um, and so uh, we hope she wins, not just for better policies for the residents of Sacramento, but also she would then be the DA of the state capitol. Um, and having a good DA of the state capital is key, especially when you have a one, pretty much a one party state um, uh, where having a good DA will um, uh, raise the floor of whatever's happening in, in that geographic area, including the capital. So, uh, so her race is doubly important, both for the number of people that are in Sacramento, as well as the some about a thousand of the specific people who are in Sacramento who are running uh, state government. Now, Sacramento is not my home, but it is my backyard. It is across the river. Um, 
and it's a tough county for progressive candidates to win in because while the city is what I would call relatively liberal, the county is very conservative outside of Sacramento. And so um, that's proven difficult, um, especially in these off-year elections. And so you have a very draconian sheriff um, and uh, you've had a series of very draconian uh, district attorneys. Um, so, um, and it's a critical uh, city because as we know from uh, some of the police shootings there, especially Stefan Clark, but several others, um, the DA has not been part of the solution. Correct. <laughs> All of that. Um, we're only two cycles into trying to win these races. Uh, we, we, the, the reformer did lose four years ago. Um, uh, worst case scenario, we're trying to fail forward. We can no longer have races where, where there's no, where there's just one choice, the income, the, the police backed and police loving incumbent. So that can no longer be the case. And over time, we'll figure out what it takes to win. Um, you know, we've strung together a few wins, um, including unexpected places like Contra Costa, um, and we're hoping that we can pull out Sacramento. Alana is fantastic. Um, so, um, so we hope we can do that. So let me throw one that may be a little off your radar, Yolo County, where I live. Um, now it's interesting. I will, I will bring this up because this happened four years ago. Uh, four years ago, everybody was paying attention to San Diego and, and my buddy Genevieve, Jones Wright and Noah Phillips in, in Sacramento. And, and the closest uh, one other than the one that you actually won in Contra Costa was Yolo County, uh, where public defender at that time, Dean Johansson, almost knocked off uh, then three-term incumbent Jeff Rising. Um, Jeff Rising now has another um, challenger, another former public defender, uh, Cynthia Rodriguez, um, do you have any uh, take on that race? No, we're not following that one closely. Um, um, uh, we have to marshal our resources, basically, and um, and and uh, it's such a big state that even when we whittled down the number of places, I think we ended up with nine races. So, um, so we're not doing Yolo. Uh, I wish her well. And I know even in 2018, some of the closest races were that one, the one in Marin, um, that actually was one of the only ones that went to the general. Um, uh, and then there was a sheriff's race in OC that, that we were involved in. So, uh, so yeah, so sometimes you don't, you know, pick the right races to be in, but the more races you are, the less money there is to do, right, to concentrate. So, so we're still, Again, I'm from the Bronx, I'm really frank. We're still learning how to do all these things. And this is the second time around and we're like trying to improve every time. So, um, And I'm not trying to be critical because yeah. I, I, I get it. And, you know, the, the huge thing is that, you know, um, I remember, and I forget what year it was, it might've been 2016, I was uh, uh, in San Francisco and the ACLU put on uh, this program, what a difference I, uh, district attorney makes. And at that time, 
nobody was challenging incumbent DAs. So this is like a sea change. Right. Um, so, um, so Riverside's an interesting one uh, because there are actually a couple of progressive candidates um, against a very bad DA, um, Mike Hestron, um, who, um, fun fact is, he's received the most money from law enforcement. Right. Um, so uh, talk to us about that race. Sure. Um, so uh, right now I am spacing out on the name of the DA candidate that we are supporting. Um, Burke, uh, uh, his name is Burke. I can't remember his full name, but we are supporting a candidate there through a group called uh, Inland Empire United. Um, and they're uh, all the way with Burke, who's last, who's, I think that might be his middle name. And, um, but, um, uh, but we're strongly supporting him. The groups feel like um, he has uh, um, uh, made some really solid commitments um, to, uh, some progressive uh, politics and policies that he'd be able to work with the groups um, to do that. And then, you know, Riverside is a, a little bit like what you were um, describing. Yeah, Burke Strunsky is his name. Um, and um, uh, Riverside is, you know, it ain't San Francisco. Um, so, um, so, they're, so they feel like Burke is as, as good as it's gonna be there for a while um, and they'd be happy to co-govern with him and when they need to hold him accountable. Cause that's what some of this is, is who actually do you wanna be holding accountable and who's most likely to, to govern along with the impacted communities. And that's what they felt uh, Strunsky is the right candidate for that. And um, Laura Gresley um, ran uh, last time and she's running again this time, uh, just to name her. Um, so let's move over to Orange County, which might be the uh, incumbent most likely to go down um, because Todd Spitzer has stuck both feet in his mouth. Uh, uh, so tell us about that race. Sure. So. Um... You know Todd Spitzer, and I'm forgetting the name of the of the uh, previous DA who he and the previous DA swapped. Caucus. Right. So they swapped from DA to Board of Supervisors. They hate each other. They're both right about each other, by the way. Um, um, and um, uh, and so the the current DA, his uh, campaign slogan is "No LA in OC." Now that maybe is dog whistle racism, or maybe it's just regular racism, <laughs> uh, because it's pretty clear who he's talking about. Um, and then he has any number of other explicit racist stuff he said that he's done, sexist stuff, he's just uh, atrocious. Um, and, and Orange County um, is no longer the Orange County of Ronald Reagan. In 2016, it went Democrat for president for the first time in a generation. 2018 went all Democratic for the Congressionals. In 2020, they lost two of, I forget if they had eight or nine seats. And if you had said 10 years before that they would have lost two, two out of the nine seats, they would have been ecstatic. We, we had all the seats and then we lost, that's fine. <laughs> like, great, we're doing great. Um, 
like I said, the, in 2018, Duke Wen, the sheriff, uh, the liberal sheriff candidate, then I think he got 46, 47 percent in the general. So things are getting close. They're getting close to getting a Democratic Board of Supervisors. I think they already have two Dems there out of five. So piece by piece, things are moving forward. Um, uh, that incumbent is atrocious. Peter's running a pretty good campaign. Uh, they're solid groups who have a track record of success, who have been the groups that have moved Orange County over the last decade. By the way, I always have to do the shout out. It wasn't indivisible in all the uh, kind of pissed off white people groups um, that were pissed off that Trump won in 2016, that got active in 2018. That wasn't what moved Orange County. There were groups that were working in Orange County from before that, that are why Orange County went Democratic for the first time in 2016. That was the infrastructure that moved the county. Then newcomers who were more recently pissed off were able to join that ecosystem, join that movement. So they are prioritizing that race. Um, and we're pretty hopeful about Peter's election possibilities uh, and then the extent to which he will govern with progressives, not just Democrats, but progressives in Orange County. Yeah, and you know, Orange County, um, despite everything you just said, which is all true, um, we've been tracking Orange County criminal justice for the last decade because it may be the most corrupt in the state. Oh, absolutely. Um, Rukakis lost uh, primarily because of the informant scandal. Uh, Spitzer came in and a lot of people just held their nose and supported him because he wasn't Rukakis. And then Spitzer moves hard right. I mean, this guy's on Newsmax. This guy's on Fox News. This guy's running like he's running against George Gascone from Orange County. Right. And um, it's it, it's appalling. And you kind of wonder exactly what, what this guy is thinking, because this is not Bob Dornan, uh, Bill Dornan. Wait, is it Bob Dornan? Oh, Bob yeah. Dornan, geez. Uh, Bob Dornan, right. It's not Bob Dornan's Orange County anymore. Right. Uh, or Dana Rohrbacher. Uh, you know, this is, uh, and, and he's acting like it. And so that's going to be really interesting. I, I think of the incumbents that are running, he is probably the most vulnerable and has a strong challenger. Right. Um, so I'd say two things just, uh, you know, he announced his candidacy on the border, on the LA, actually, right. I think it was on the LA side. So that uh, was something. Um, and then because there's only two candidates, um, one of them will win outright in the spring. So the election like system is more challenging for Peter to win because primary electorates, the spring elections are wider and more conservative. Um, so if it was a fall election, Peter would absolutely be the front runner with no doubt. Because it's a spring election, there needs to be more help for Peter because the electorate is not as representative as the voters, never mind the residents. I'll say a big part of the movement that moved Orange County over the last decade were some of the atrocious police shootings of Latinos uh, in Santa Ana and a variety of other places. But I think there were like three in a few months or something in Santa Ana in the early 2010s. And the groups there, there tried to help hold the police accountable, then realized the police actually weren't accountable. Then they tried to hold the police chief accountable. He wasn't. Then they tried to hold the city council accountable and they realized that the council was all white people from the hills. Uh, 
uh, because they were at large rather than district elections. And so Latinos, while they were the majority, there were no Latinos on the city council. So then the groups pushed for district elections so that there could be some Latinos on the city council and then elected Latinos to the city council and then have been working to hold both the cops and Disney accountable since then. So, um, so the police, the police, it's more than brutality because when you kill someone, it's more than, but the police murders, brutality, um, all kind of terrible stuff, along with the Disney buying of elected officials there, um, have you know basically spurred the movement that not only moved, um, uh, uh, not only moved that city, Anaheim it was, it was Anaheim, not only moved that city, but play a key role in getting groups to actually move the county. Because as they were moving Anaheim, that inspired other Latinos to move in other Latino cities, that inspired progressive API folks to move in API cities, and then they were working together. So, um, so, uh, so a lot of them are trying to make sure that those murders um, result in positive outcomes despite the tragedy. Um, and uh, Peter, and the movement to elect Peter is part of that threat. So, um, and we haven't talked about LA, but um, is there another DA race that I'm missing? Yeah, well, we didn't, I don't think we talked about Contra Costa with, with the incumbent Diana Beck oh, yeah. re-elect. Um, so she was the first liberal DA elected since the 2016 work, uh, appointed and then elected. So, um, uh, so she's done her best. Um, she ran against the person in 2018. She ran against the person, the deputy DA. And then when she won, he was her deputy DA. And he has done his best to make sure that she did not accomplish much because of civil service protections, other stuff. You couldn't just do what Krasner did in Philadelphia and like fire all the top people. So, so that process, her governing process has been um, instructive um, to understand that obviously electing a DA is not sufficient. Sometimes they actually need to clean house um, and, and then you need to replace. You can't just let go of the people you need to replace. So, um, so the groups there have really appreciated the extent to which she's worked with them to be figuring out what, what needed to happen. Um, change is slow. She's stuck to it. She needs at least one more term to continue pushing it forward. And, you know, uh, while people understand Richmond to be a progressive bastion, um, Contra Costa, she's, she's quite good for the Contra Costa electorate. <laughs> and so we, be, we are happy uh, to be supporting her reelection and would be happy when she is reelected. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, uh, you brought up the change in Orange County, but I remember when Contra Costa was like the conservative bastion of the Bay Area. And it wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, I remember, uh, you know, when uh, Ellen Tosher was able to squeak out a, a, a win, um, you know, and, and she's a very moderate Democrat. And you know, in the last election, uh, it went 70% for Biden. So, I mean, that's a massive shift. Um, well, Contra Costa was the last part of the Bay region that had a Republican elected to the state legislature. Um, and then they also had a set of the problematic, um, 
you know, super duper moderate business friendly Democrats. Um, so, um, so elect, so both getting Becton appointed by the supervisors, by the board of supervisors, that was unbelievable in and of itself because getting a majority vote by those five was quite an impressive power wielding by the groups. And then getting her elected by the electorate is almost like double, like they got the elected officials to appoint her and then have to get the voters to elect her. And all that was really fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, as we've seen in the last week, you know, um, that there were uh, there are still serious problems in that county with the sheriff and uh, police shootings and uh, all sorts of other stuff. Well, uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, right. But thanks so much for coming on and uh, chatting about DAs across the state. Thanks. Thanks for having me. For folks who want to see more, you can check out CaliforniaDonorTable.org. Um, we have links both to how to join us, uh, as well as links to our grantees. If folks are able to join, that's great. If they can give money to our grantees, that's great. If they want to join some of the work that's happening in the regions, that's great. We need as many people as possible to contribute whatever they have to make these things uh, happen. Ludovic Blaine from California Donor Table, our guest this week on Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald, and join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justice for George Powell, all one word, dot com.